chapter 8, please. Acts chapter 8. I'd like to begin with a quote. Some people think that the next great evangelist will reach more people than Billy Graham ever did. And they're already programming artificial intelligence to do it. When Australians Chris Ridgway and Adam Grabber program an AI chatbot to do evangelism, they look at each other and wonder, can a robot, can a chatbot really spread the gospel? Only to realize that evangelism chatbots are not quite as unprecedented as they first appear to be. Still, this new generation of technology-driven evangelism forces today's Christians to go back and ask, what exactly is the gospel? The future is here. This chatbot, or chatbot has already led hundreds to make decisions for Jesus. Can we really argue with the results? How about this? Chris Goswami, in his January 24, 2020 article in Premier Christianity, published by the Evangelical Alliance of Singapore, wrote about virtual baptisms, evangelism chatbots, and sermonless service. This article summarizes some of the current trends in churches that are being enabled by new technology, including virtual baptisms where a young lady with a condition that prevented her leaving the house was virtually baptized via her headset with no water, no physical experience, and without leaving the house. This article also claimed that robots have led hundreds of people to Christ. Dr. Peter Phillips of Durham University quotes this credible report of an evangelism experiment using artificial intelligence or AI. They built a chatbot called Who Is Jesus and put it on the internet for a year. The bot was programmed to answer thousands of questions such as, is Buddhism the same as Christianity? And why do bad things happen? They then place targeted ads on Facebook saying, Hey, do you want to talk about God? When people click the ad, they were connected in a chat window with Who is Jesus? There were 2,500 meaningful conversations. 150 people came to know Christ and were connected to a local church. Instinctively, we don't like the idea that something as 
relational as the Christian gospel could be communicated by a machine. But as the authors say, not liking it is different to saying it doesn't work. Then there is the sermon-less services. A recent article in Christianity Magazine asked the question, do we still need sermons? The thrust of the article was, why spend so much time preparing sermons when there is so much fantastic Christian teaching on the internet? Perhaps the preacher's time would be better spent recommending the best Christian content on YouTube or the best discipleship app rather than buried in a commentary on Micah. Today, almost all Christians receive teaching outside of the traditional church gatherings. And for an increasing number, this is the majority of their teaching. Christian teaching on the internet can be wonderful and inspirational, but it can also be awful and plain wrong. Anyone can publish anything on the web with no accountability to anyone. Google search lists results according to their popularity. It does not list results according to their correctness. And then, of course, there is the online services and cashless collections. The author claims that in his church and in many others, the plate of, or the collecting bowl is increasingly empty. Most people give using direct debit, but there are newer, seamless ways of giving that churches are adopting, including church apps and text-to-give solutions. Church apps, in particular, allow giving to be regular and spontaneous and can manage with all your church communications, including rosters, with a reminder when it's your turn to do tea and coffee. Church newsletter, pastor's blog, prayer chains, and sermon streaming, all in one app on your phone. A single touch point for everything that the church does. But do we lose something when our physical experience goes online? Doesn't the idea that you physically hand over the gift have value as well? Surely it's about giving and not just money. I think physically, seeing a collection can remind us we are called to give, even if we set it up electronically months ago and forgot about it. End of quote. A couple of Sundays ago, we learned about the Good Samaritan. A parable, I believe, not only how it is to be charitable, but more importantly, how all of us should be a good neighbor to someone and share the gospel with them. Last Sunday, we considered a madman in Gadara who became a missionary. This morning, I'd like to submit to you a man, a deacon, in fact, who went and won a soul for Christ. My dear ones, my dear ones, 
my dear ones. We might be living in a world of technology, and yes, we can use and we are already using technology in just about everything else these days. And I'm not here to diminish or devalue its benefits. But I passionately believe that God has and still is calling men and women to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. While technology can be helpful in evangelism, I believe God still desires a living, breathing gospel witness to share the gospel to another living person. The question that I put before you this morning, as I have been over the last few times now, will you say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Calvary Baptist Church, will you say, Lord, here am I. Send me. If you haven't done so, please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. The title of our message this morning is, Get Up and Go. Get Up and Go. Acts chapter 8, would you stand with me please? We pick up the account here in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, uh, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had a charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot read Esaias the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth." And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Our Father, thank you once again for this opportunity indeed to look to your word, consider it, and most importantly apply it into our lives. Oh, God, once again I ask for your unction 
power from on high. As I attempt to do justice to your word. You would use it to teach us your way. The Holy Spirit teaching us your truth. That we would become a little bit more like the Lord Jesus Christ. After this morning, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Get up and go. In Acts chapter 1 and in Matthew 28, we find what we now commonly call the Great Commission. Our last standing order, beloved, before the Lord Jesus Christ ascended back into heaven. That is his last order to you and me. More than anything else that he commanded and expected us, apart from loving and worshiping him uh, uh, with no other, his charge to us in this time is indeed to finish the work that he has started while he was here on earth. That is, of course, to be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and into Samaria, and indeed into the uttermost part of the earth. Matthew referred to this as to all nations and to the end of the world. Now, of course, this command is applicable to us today. But what does this mean when we are not living in Israel? Well, I believe Jerusalem represents those nations and people that are culturally like us. But geographical and geographically nearby. Our own Jerusalem, Bayswater, and the surrounding suburbs. Uh, Judea, on the other hand, could mean culturally similar, but geographically far. And then, of course, where Samaria is, they are culturally different, but geographically near. And the uttermost part of the earth, of course, are those nations that are culturally different and geographically far. That's as best and as simple that I could uh, describe it to you as I've learned from one of the readings I had this week. Now that said, we find here Philip being spoken of by the angel of the Lord. Let's just pause there for a moment. Beloved, the exact identity of the angel of the Lord is not given in the Bible. There are, of course, both in the Old and in the New Testament, references as to angels of the Lord. An angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord, as we see here. It seems when the definite article, the, is used, it is specifying a unique being separate from the other angels. The angel of the Lord speaks as God, identifies himself with God, and exercises the responsibilities of God. Genesis 16, uh, uh, 21, 22, Exodus 3, uh, Judges 2, uh, Judges 5, Judges 6, Judges 13, uh, 2 Samuel 24, Zechariah chapter 1, and chapter 3, and Chapter 12, uh, you want those specific reference, you can come to me and see me later. Uh, now in several of these appearances, those who saw the angel of the Lord feared for their lives because they had seen the Lord. Therefore, in times where the 
angel of the Lord is used, there is reason to believe that it is a theophany. Uh, that's just a doctrinal or theological term that means that is an appearance of God in physical form and may well be that the Lord appeared and spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go. So our first point this morning is get up and go. And beloved, missions is about getting up and going. The angel of the Lord commissioned, charged, commanded Philip to get up and go. Where? Toward the south, down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza. That's like from Melbourne CBD heading down south past Frankston, past Mount Martha, and then unto Hastings, some 77 kilometers away. It will take you some one hour or so via the M1. But obviously, not so in Bible times. The angel of the Lord said, Arise and go. Did you know that the word go in the King James Version of the Bible is mentioned some close to 1,500 times? It means to depart. It means to move, to go forward. And it signifies action, and it signifies movement. It means us going. And unlike the chatbots or the AI, where people are expected to click the link, Philip, and so are we, we are told to get up and go, and not to wait for people to click the link. Go ye. Did you notice that the word gospel starts with the word go? To go and to send out and to give the good and joyful message of salvation started. Uh, and here we, we, we see that Philip was asked to go by the angel of the Lord toward the south and to Gaza, like I said. Now, for us to appreciate this, we are in the book of Acts, of course, and this is the account where the day of Pentecost uh, occurred and, and documented. Here in the book of Acts is where the early church has started. Here in the book of Acts is where many miracles and wonders have been happening and performed by the apostles. Here in the book of Acts is where we see revival, where souls are being saved where souls are being baptized and added to the church daily and into the thousands. That must be exciting. That must be thrilling to be a part of that. But then the angel of the Lord told Philip, go to Gaza, which is a desert. Huh? Lord, things are all happening here. The results are happening. We have people getting saved. We have people getting baptized. This is where the action is. This is the place of blessing. And you want me to go to a place of barrenness. A desert. Not only that, beloved, Gaza in the Old Testament was the capital of Philistia. Israel's greatest enemy. Today and since 2007, the Gaza Strip has been the de facto governed by Hamas, which claims to represent the state of Palestine 
and the Palestinian people claims to represent. Philip was told to leave, like I said, a place of blessing to go to a place of barrenness. Think about this for a moment. Gaza in Bible times and in the context of its distance from Jerusalem uh, at the time, it might as well be the atomos part of the earth. That's it. Think how far. Think how far God would go to save someone that is sincerely seeking him. Indeed, he will be found as he promised. Indeed, he can and will be able to save to the uttermost. One of the things and the challenges of our time today is we no longer believe in the miracle of salvation. We are content for days and months and years for churches not to experience souls being saved. We have been content with our apathy. We have been content to just get by year in and year out, not witnessing to a single soul about Jesus Christ. Notice God didn't say anything more to Philip apart from get up and go to Gaza, which is a desert. You know, God does that. He did it to Abraham, didn't he? Get up and go to a land that I will show thee. Genesis 12. God did it to the apostles. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mark 1, Matthew 4. He didn't say where. He didn't say how. He did it to Paul. Arise and go. There's that word go again. Into a city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Acts chapter 9. At least Philip was told where to go. But I want us to notice here, just like Abraham, just like the apostles, uh, the fishermen of Galilee, just like Paul, and just like Philip here, all of them obeyed. All of them obeyed. Notice verse 27 of our text. And he arose and went. He didn't question God. He didn't reason with God. Lord, like I said, it's all happening here in Jerusalem. It's a place of blessing. And you want me to go to a barren desert place? No, beloved. He didn't do any of those things. The Bible says in the account says that he got up and went. He arose and went. You see, many times God asks us to get up and go. But we want God to explain first what he's doing or what he is going to do before we go, if we actually go. You see, God will not send us anywhere without his plan and purposes, beloved. He already knows what and how he will accomplish his purposes in and through us 
and what a privilege it is to be used by him. That he would use the likes of us. In this case, the purpose was one single soul in the desert place called Gaza. God will be found by those that are seeking him diligently. And he will go to the uttermost part of the earth to save that one soul. What God is asking you and me is nothing but obedience. And he will take care of the rest. Get up and go. Secondly, I believe God commands us to get up close and personal. To get up close and personal. Verse 29. Then the Spirit, notice that it's a capital S there, said unto Philip, Go. There's that word again. Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Notice again the unconditional obedience by Philip here in verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him. He didn't drag his feet down. Not only did he get up and go, but he also got got up close and personal. You see, beloved, if Philip did not obey and took that first step of faith in what the Lord had commanded him, He would not have met this man who was clearly searching. This man traveled some distance to go to Jerusalem for to worship. The text doesn't tell us that. One preacher placed it uh, that he traveled some 1,931 kilometers, which would have taken him, if this preacher is correct, that would have taken five months for that eunuch to reach Jerusalem. There is also a sense that perhaps he was not able to worship in the temple in Jerusalem as he intended, as he wanted to do, because he was a eunuch. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 1 would have excluded him from the assembly and participate on the congregation of the temple because of the law. Verse 31, with the eunuch reading in the prophet Isaiah and Philip inquiring if he understood what he was reading said, How can I, except some man should guide me? Oh, my dear ones, I say it again. There are plenty of men and women and children who are searching today. Who is going to guide them? Who is going to go and guide them? Who is going to tell them about the Lord? Who is going to explain to them that Christ died and on the third day he rose again for them? Who is going to tell them that he became their substitute to appease the wrath of God over sin and be the propitiation for their sins that by believing his offer of salvation full and free, by grace through faith, they can be reconciled back to God and spend eternity with him for all eternity who will be like Philip who will go for us would you say Calvary Baptist Church Lord here am I 
send me. You know, sometimes I wonder how many opportunities I have missed in meeting an Ethiopian eunuch of my time. But I refuse to obey the Lord, to get up and go, to get up close and personal. Oh, beloved, let us not miss these opportunities. Perhaps that neighbor that I didn't say hi to when we were both pulling our rubbish bin after a collection. Perhaps that new family that moved house across from us. Perhaps that phone call that I planned to make. Perhaps that letter of testimony that I was going to publish through Facebook. Perhaps simply handing a gospel track or a thank you card after I paid for my petrol, had a meal, or paid for my groceries. Oh, beloved, let us not miss the opportunity to get up close and personal. We may not have another opportunity. Think of someone that you can get up close and personal to this week. And tell them the salvation full and free is available to them. You see, beloved, because Philip got up close and personal to this Ethiopian eunuch, he heard what the eunuch was reading. You see, back then, and I suppose even today, if you want to understand uh, a text or an article of something, you read loud. I do anyway. But back then, that's how they do it. But here we find that uh, even the, the Ethiopian eunuch reading aloud, he still could not understand. Can I say this to you in love? When you're not up close and personal to the people that you're trying to win for Christ, you won't hear them. You will miss their signals, their sadness, perhaps, and indeed their situations. Situations that you can then turn into meaningful conversations and or to answer their questions they have about the Lord. You won't. If you're not up close and personal. Beloved, we won't hear unless we are near. Somebody said good evangelism is 60% asking, 30% building intrigue, and 10% sharing the gospel. Sounds like a formula to me. And I'm not even sure if that is true. Another said evangelism apparently requires three skills. Declare the gospel, defend the gospel, and dialogue the gospel. Again, sounds like a business strategy that I used to prepare and present. Look, I'm not really sure about these different ways to reach the laws. And I'm not necessarily knocking them, but what I know is that Philip, in obedience to the Lord's command, got up and went He got up close and personal, and thirdly and simply, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. Now before we move on, I don't want us to miss something here that I believe is important. And it's found in verse 31. Uh, and, And he said, 
How can, I, uh, 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 how can I accept some man should guide me? And then this is the point that I want to raise. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The eunuch desired. That means he asked Philip to sit with him. Understand, beloved, these two fellows did not know each other until that time. Uh, from all accounts, they are not meant to be up close and personal. They have nothing in common. And yet God, uh, by His sovereign plan and purpose, their lives intersected and met at a certain point at the very right moment. I'm making a point here firstly that if we really are fair dinkum and ask the Lord to send us, He will. He will give us those opportunities to proclaim Him and His Word. Secondly, when we make it our business to get up close and personal in a genuine, loving way, we will be invited by the unbelieving to sit with them and get to know us and perhaps even allow us to tell them about our faith. But you see, they can see through. They can see if our faith is fake. They can see if our faith is fake. They can see if our faith is fake. But if we go near, when we really are genuinely concerned about them, and not what we can get out of them, or what we can judge them with, they will invite us and sit with them. They will be more welcoming of us if we can just see the person in them behind perhaps of our prejudice we have on people. Perhaps if we can see the person behind our preference. Just perhaps we will be invited to sit with them in their chariot. My dear ones, I think sometimes we forget where we have all come from. We look nice and tidy now. We even put a necktie. We're clean shaven. We have nice haircut. We have a wonderful family. We are clean. And so when we come across someone that is unclean, that smells like a gutter, perhaps don't look the same as we have our prejudice. We have our preferences. We forget sometimes where we have come from. Our gospel presentations must start where people are and then make sure we end up with Jesus. As we learned last Sunday, 
We don't tell them what great things we have done. We tell them what great things He hath done in us and through us. And so Philip opened his mouth and preached unto him Jesus. Not his suppositions, not his summations, but he preached Jesus according to the scriptures. That's what you read, right? According to scriptures. Not religion, but a relationship. Not a denomination, but the divine. Not anything else, and not no one else, but Jesus. Come with me to verse 39, and we're nearly done. And I wish I have time to detail the belief in the baptism, but not today. But here in verse 39, and when they were come up out of the water, that tells you why the doctrine of baptism by immersion is the right doctrine. They both came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord, capital S, caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. And this is the point. And he went on his way. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Oh, beloved, I really wish that you and I could be instruments of God's good tidings, a channel, a conduit, a way so that we can provide rejoicing in this dark world of sin. And sorrows. Once again, as we focus on our missions month, would you get up and go? Would you get up close and personal? Would you get up and open your mouth and preach unto them Jesus? Go where? Perhaps you feel that you are in a place of blessing. Oh, how I wish that's how you see our church, a place of blessing. Not a place to complain about or a place to be critical about. A place of blessing. But you know, as much as I love you all, but if God is calling you to a place of barrenness so that one soul can be saved, I'd pray with you to go. Or perhaps you are in the desert right now. You feel barren. You're in a barren land. You're spiritually starving. There's no joy in your salvation. You're going through the mill. You're going through the motion. Come to church. Sing. Sit. Read the scripture, listen to the sermon, and go home as if nothing happened. My dear ones, get up and go. Because someone did. Someone left the portals of heaven, a place of glory and blessing, and went into this fallen, dark world of sin for you 
and for me. The greatest missionary ever. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so today as we once again remember him through the emblems. The unleavened bread. You've heard me say this a number of times. There's nothing special about the bread. But the person behind the bread is the most ultimate special person that you will ever meet. Oh, I trust that you know him today. And if you're here, you say, Pastor Manny, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just like that Ethiopian eunuch. I'm confused. I'm disillusioned. I feel that I am deceived. I've been going through the internet and looking at these chatbots and AIs and whatever there is there, and they all seem to be okay. But what is the truth? Could you guide me, please? Can you tell me not your opinion? Can you tell me not your summation? Tell me what the scripture says. That's what I desire. If you're here, or if you're watching me, or listening to me right now, if that is you, oh, I'd love to guide you. I'd love to tell you about Christ crucified. Would you come? Is there anyone like that? Right here, right now. I don't mean to embarrass you, but the stakes are so high that you being embarrassed is the least of your worries. Is there anyone here right now who is seeking, desiring to know the scriptures, anyone? Across the room. Christian, would we, may being first, would we get up and go? Would we get up close and personal and hear their cries? And would we open our mouth and preach unto them, Jesus? Tell them what great things he hath done, not how good and wonderful we are. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. And as we now focus our attention on the emblems of the unleavened bread, and the fruit of the vine, even there, we want to commit it to you. To remember how far and how low you went. So that men and women like us could come and be reconciled back to you in glory forever and ever. There's nothing glorious about us. There's nothing attractive in each of us. You saw it fit to send your beloved Son in whom you are pleased, the Bible says. And that word please, I can't fathom it that you would also be pleased to bruise your own son so that we can 
He died so that we could live. Oh, let it not be so familiar to us. The preaching after preaching, Sunday after Sunday, we hear the same story of the good gospel of grace and it doesn't affect us one bit. Oh, dear God, help us to develop passion, compassion to the lost, and tell them about the Christ crucified. And as we proceed with the emblems of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, both the one serving and the one being served, may we realize what this emblem means and what it means for us, the importance of sharing it to this fallen world of sin that is quickly degenerating down to a place of condemnation. We give you praise. We give you thanks. Indeed for the wonder that you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.